0: Minimalists. (laughs) This is the Minimalist Private Podcast, and we are here with Ronald L. Banks. Ron, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, We got so much to talk about. Uh, We're going to talk about wanting less. We're going to talk about a bunch of your surprise questions, but first, let's. So uh, we do this segment called "More About Less." We usually read an article, but I just want to talk to you about some of your your videos. Since you run a YouTube channel and you make a lot of videos about minimalism, there were three videos in particular that uh, really stood out. So, minimalism for collectors. Yes. Yeah. I love this man. The, yeah. the, this idea <laughs> of collecting. Um, you know, I, I think that that the collecting is just well-planned hoarding most of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on collecting? I don't like the word collecting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't like it at all because it,
1: because it has that negative connotation to it. You, you think of collecting as having a lot of stuff. Mm. But really, you know, like I said in the video, if someone likes plants and they technically collect plants. Right. Right? right? Or if you like you know, whatever it is, coffee, then you collect coffee. Right. But we don't think of it as collecting. So I don't really like the word collecting. I, I, I kind of look at it from a perspective of if you enjoy this thing or these things, then use those things hold on to those things within reason yeah you know once it gets out of hand then it's technically hoarding mm-hmm. if you're not using it, it's just there mm-hmm. but if you're using those things and it's i don't see an issue with it as long yeah. as you're intentional about
0: it all do we have another yeah. word that we can use besides collecting right yeah. I, 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 I don't know but, but, curating is, uh, this yeah. is jordan no more is in the background yeah. here um <laughs> it's
2: a form of collection
0: yeah, yeah, and, and so I, what's fascinating is when you look at museums, they do they curate really well, yeah. right? That in fact they they hire full time curators, mm-hmm. but they have a collection of paintings, right? Yeah. But they do it well because they're curating, and so so what we're really talking about here is getting value from th- things, and that's okay. Yeah. It, 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 we're not a, we're not about depriving yourself from from stuff. If you really love angel statuettes, <laughs> then by all means. I, actually, I, I say mean, we you you won't give you a
2: minimalist certificate, but collect yeah. all the angel statuettes yeah. you want.
0: <laughs> well, I, in fact, I, I, I used the wrong word there. I, in fact, I, I would encourage you to not love the angel statuettes, mm-hmm. right? I would encourage you to enjoy them. Mm-hmm. I would encourage you to get value from them, to, to experience joy with them but having your curated collection maybe that's a hundred of them i don't know maybe it's you, you dated someone who had santa their, their parents had santa clauses yeah. all over their she house really right? yeah like
2: she got a lot out of those 167 santa clauses that i counted throughout wow. the house i mean it was it was christmas like when you walked in that house you knew it was christmas time mm. and mm-hmm. uh it actually made you feel warm and fuzzy
0: yeah i mean personally like i wouldn't have that many santa clauses, santa clauses. throughout the house but <laughs> well, i mean that's cool the nice thing about that is you can often enjoy these things without needing to possess them yourself. You know, when, yeah. When we go to uh, take Ella, my daughter, to like the to see Christmas lights or something, I don't have to own all those Christmas lights. Mm-hmm. I can go somewhere, have access to them, still have the experience by the way the professionals do it way better than i would ever do Uh, and the same is true with with a lot of the things that we have i don't have to have a picasso painting in order to enjoy it i can go to a museum Mm -hmm. and they've curated that collection for me Mm -hmm. but i do
2: like your take ron how in your video you kind of just spell out how we're all collectors in some way like we're yeah like we we all collect something yeah um yeah i mean it's you got to thing of books at home it's not
0: like you're a book collector but you have a collection of books right yeah right and and so maybe here's here's another thing to think about with respect to that is there a cap you can set an artificial cap even for me i have these two small vertical bookshelves Mm -hmm. and each one fits probably about 40 bucks on it so between me and my wife we have somewhere around 80 books and but anytime i bring a new book home and we get a lot of them because people send them in or whatever if i bring it home it means another one has to leave right (laughs) i'm not going to get a third and fourth and fifth bookshelf right because i'm not going to get more value from those things and i think that's the problem is we think that well i i in order to be fulfilled i have to continue to add more i have to collect Mm -hmm. well maybe you can curate as jordan says that that collection by by having some sort of artificial limit and, and for me that has to do with the space that i have for those books because it'd be possible for me to add more mm-hmm. it's always possible for us to get more it's not a good reason to do so mm-hmm. yeah now let's put a link to that video in the show notes sean minimalism for collectors you got another video ron uh, i learned how to want less this is an awesome <laughs> video man <laughs> because
2: you. we get asked so often hey, you know, I totally get your guys' minimalist lifestyle and I understand where you're coming from, but I still want to get all this stuff. I still want to make that big salary just to try it out for myself. Like, how do I get rid of that feeling? Yep. And I haven't had a great answer for that, but I think in this video, yep. you talk you you have a good answer for that. Do yep. you want to talk a little bit about what this video is? Yeah,
1: so uh, I have two videos that are in Connected. Uh, connect to this one so I learned how to want less and then a secret to owning less mm. so uh, the two connect in a way and I think the secret to owning less is wanting less and wanting less is driven by our emotion and our mindsets so I kind of have this uh, based off of feedback I got in the comment section uh, some people call the way I break down wants and needs as kind of like the decluttering baby steps so I think of it in a way where we approach our mental clutter first because if you're not clear up here and in your heart, then the physical space is just gonna be a mess anyway. Yeah. And we always try to approach the physical clutter because it's what we see, but we forget about everything up here and down here. So wanting less is driven from the mental and emotional side of things. Mm. So when we change uh, our perspective of our surroundings, uh, the friendships, the relationships that we have, then we no longer feel the need to want things based on other people's validation, for example. Yeah. So wanting less is really driven by, like I said earlier, What is enough for me? Mm -hmm. So when we know what that is, then I want less. Then I'm not influenced by the people around me, Mm -hmm. uh, the things that someone has or doesn't have, and I feel like I need it. So wanting less is really the 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 foundation for this whole lifestyle, I think, or this lifestyle change. When you want less, then you're going to own less. I think what's fascinating
0: about that is sometimes in order to get enough you have to let go. Yeah. And we don't realize that because for us, especially in our society, more is, is better. And we measure success by trinkets and status and success. Mm-hmm. And so of course, more is going to be better, but not realizing that often less is better because enough is somewhere down here and I've already got too much. Right. Or, or often I've got too much I need to get rid of below enough so then I can fill my life with what is actually appropriate. Mm-hmm. So yeah. figuring out what is enough does help you certainly want
2: less. Well, you know, we talked about in the minimal episode about the, the validation, the external validation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where a lot of this drive comes from to own more, to want more. And when we, when we look externally for that validation, when we look externally uh, for things to make us happy. Until we take care of that mental clutter, the things yep. that you're talking about, it yep. doesn't matter what we get. It doesn't matter. Yeah, so, uh, no, I, d- I just love how, you know, you answer that question on how do I how do I get that urge to want less? It's like you have to develop it, and mm-hmm. it takes a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, the book that we're working on right now, Love People Use Things, it's a book about the relationships in our lives. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited about this book because, I mean, it's a long way to answer that question, how do I want to own less? But what it does is it helps people focus on what actually is important. And when you can focus on those things, it's, that's where you can start to get that internal validation yeah. with good relationships with our friends, family, with yep. our finances. Uh, yeah,
0: it's- Well, think about that word validation even, right? Like, like it, so, so if we go to a grocery store and they validate your parking, that that just means that like now I can move forward, right? Mm-hmm. Well, do I need someone else to move forward? Mm. If so, then maybe I'm being held back by my need for validation, yep. right? Yep. Yeah. You got another video, Ron, uh, 15 ways to simplify your life. Yep. Um, and, and what's fascinating about that is is it, it's not just about the stuff, it's about emotions, it's about getting active, it's yep. about slowing down. Yep. So maybe we talk a little bit about, about that.
1: Yeah, slowing down is a good one. Um, just to go back really quick, you brought up something that made me think uh, about the validation topic and I, I try to approach minimalism or this lifestyle, I call it, this lifestyle change, this mindset change as a journey for the long haul. Mm. And there's an analogy that I like to use. Again, I said, I, I try to entwine poetry somehow in my content. And an analogy that I use when we're trying to stay focused on our journey, when we think about a horse in a carriage ride, the horse has the blinders on. Mm. And the blinders are there to help the horse stay focused on the direction he's going in. Mm. But it's not blocking him from seeing everything else. It's just, I get putting a filter there so he's yeah. not distracted by the cars or spooked by the cars. Mm-hmm. So I try to approach my life and I try to encourage others to approach their life the same way. So I put your blinders on. So you see where you're headed. I mean, you see everything in your peripherals, but they're not distracting you. Mm-hmm. And yeah. those blinders are more so the mental block, the emotional block, the physical block from not allowing those other things to distract
0: where you want to head in your life. Yeah. And sometimes so, those blinders just involve like not opening the magazine yep. and being bombarded with, yep. with 50 ads before you even get to the first article. Yeah. Uh, it, it, and so there are these things that we can cut out of our lives that allow us to not be interrupted mm-hmm. by these distractions, yeah, right? Exactly, and I think
1: when we talk about slowing down now, uh, you know, there, it's ironic when people say slow down, they think about eating slowly or walking slowly, you think slow motion, but it's really being mindful and intentional about every action you take. Mm. So in order to do that, I like to say step back. Because when we step back, we kind of have this, again, it's a reality check. We can look at everything from a much broader scope. Because when you're in the midst of something, you only see your immediate surroundings. Mm-hmm. So when you step back, you see the much bigger picture and now you can move, adapt, or, or, or learn or grow based on a much bigger picture. Yeah. When you know where you're headed long term, everything you do now is going to affect the long term. But if you're only looking at it right now, everything you're going to do is just going to affect right now. So yeah. you're never going to get to where you're trying to get to.
0: Yeah. Sure. Hmm. You, uh, so, so it seems to me you started your, your channel, you were doing poetry for a while, and you yes. still do. You incorporate yep. that into your videos now, and I, I certainly appreciate that. Um. You do a great job you know, mm-hmm. speaking straight to camera. Uh, I think the videos are, are short enough that people get, especially with our attention spans today, yep. <laughs> but you, you, you fill them up with, with a lot of value. Um, so you got some poetry videos on there, and the one that stood out to me it was, I'm a poet, not a rapper, uh, <laughs> which is funny because <laughs> Ryan's Twitter bio still says, I'm not a rapper. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you know that, that, that came out of nowhere. Uh, you know, a lot of people ask me, they find me because of poetry. And that's actually a funny statement. That came from a coworker of mine, and um, they approached me and said, "Oh, you're doing that rap thing, right?" And I'm like, no, I'm I'm just a poet. You know, rap is a form of poetry, but I'm just I'm just a poet. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's I like to take that idea because I think it it applies to minimalism. Because when you think of minimalism, there's this this you know this definition on this line that a lot of people put on it. Mm-hmm. And if you if you don't or a box, I should say, if you don't fit in this box, then you're not minimal, right? And it's just kind of like, well, I'm living my life minimally and intentionally for me. But if you if you think minimalism is everything you see on Google or Google Images, then you know you have a very small-minded perspective of it.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Talk to me about your house because you you're often in your house when, when you're yes. doing these videos. Um, my assumption is you, you weren't always um, well-curated and nope. decluttered. Nope. So so um, when did you when did you first start uh, simplifying your life? Oh, wow.
1: Good question. So uh, the first time I actually de- decluttered my closet was in 2016. Okay. Um, I was vlogging at the time. So I was like, oh, it'd be good vlogging content. I have way too many clothes anyway. Might as well go through it. Mm-hmm. And that was my first time decluttering my closet. Um, I like to tell people, you know, I had 40-plus pairs of jeans, 60 or 70 Ooh. T-shirts. Oh, wow. You know, shoes that I wore once, never wore clothes with tags still on them, so I had all kinds of stuff. Uh, storage containers, stuff under my bed, two floor-to-ceiling closets stuffed with stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, that was my first time decluttering my stuff. But as far as minimalism, minimalism kind of popped up accidentally. Mm. And you know, I, didn't, I had no idea what the term meant or what it was, but there were so many people around me that taught me lessons of intentionality. And a few people was my younger brother, so my younger brother's an artist, He's uh, in the military. He's an artist, but he's always been intentional with how he creates his art and the friendships he has. Mm. I've never met someone who still has the same friendships from a freshman in high school that are that value to valuable to him. Wow! And that is just mind blowing to me. So seeing how intentional he is with his relationships and then his art, and then when I met my fiance, uh, she was very intentional with everything she has. Her her house was already minimal, you know, quote unquote. Uh, she was very intentional about everything. So. Seeing that, her relationships as well, very intentional with that. And then a coworker of mine who who is a minimalist, he has, you know, the you know the white and black house, the glass, you know, he has five shirts, two pants. So he's the, the, the minimalist by definition, if you yeah, want to say. Sort of stereotype. Sort of stereotype <laughs> of it. So seeing those things around me and having that influence around me taught me lessons. So I took from my brother, okay, I need to curate my relationships. Mm. I need to be more intentional with my, my relationships. Then I need to be more intentional with my poetry. Every word I say needs to be have a meaning behind it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then when I met my fiance, okay, I need to be more intentional about my relationships. I need to be more intentional with my space. And then when I met my coworker, it just kind of all put the glue together. So like, okay, well, this is the, how I want to approach my life. And I just took it as a tool and and really applied it to my life, how I wanted it to fit, fit my perspective of life. So, mm-hmm. you know, and then, like I said, my poetry is how I make it my own. Uh, you know, I, I try to strive with my content to not be uh, the templated minimalist on YouTube. Sure. So, uh, you know, I try to approach my content from a different perspective. So, just like the video you said, "15 ways to own less." Instead of me just listing 15 things, yeah. I try to approach from a different perspective uh, to give someone who who clicks on the video to watch uh, something they're not going to expect. Mm-hmm. You know, if I give them something they already heard ten times and there's no real value in my content, so I try to approach from a different perspective. For yeah.
0: sure. I think you do a good job. Yeah, do an Thank awesome you. job of it, Ron. Thank you. We've got uh, we've got some surprise questions here today, Ryan. Purple Shrimp has a question for us. Definitely interested in the decluttering of digital spaces.
2: It is something I have been meaning to get started on, but real life is throwing up roadblocks
0: a lot right now. Could do with some guidance slash inspiration. Now this is different from the question that was asked on the minimal episode. That one was like, "I'm really, I'm really stressed out by all of my digital clutter." This person is saying hey, I need to declutter my digital space. Mm. Now, I think that you approach this from two angles. One is, I like to try to put what I can in the physical world into the digital world. I think that's one way of actually just decluttering the physical space. If I can take a picture of something and then store that in the cloud intentionally, maybe I don't need the thing anymore to, Mm -hmm. to trigger the memories in me. Obviously, our memories aren't in our things, they're in us, but sometimes those things or photos of things can trigger the memories. But what do you tell someone like Purple Shrimp here, who's who's saying, look, I just need help. I, I have so much digital clutter and I don't even know where to start. That's a good question, where to start. Uh, first
1: step back, that's the one thing I like to say, just step back and analyze your, the entire thing you're trying to approach. And then I like to say, break it down into sections. So if you try to approach all of your digital space at one time, you're gonna overwhelm yourself. You're never gonna make any progress. Yep. You're just gonna see the mess. So you can break it down in categories. You can do email, social media, photos, and apps, yeah. for example. Mm-hmm. And then approach the email. You know, create filters, create folders, uh, unsubscribe from you know the the your favorite store that you never use a coupon anyway. Yeah. So un- unsubscribe from those yeah. places. And then you can approach your, your, the social media side of it. And I, I remember someone asking about social media, and I think social media is a tricky thing when we try to declutter social media. But I think instead of trying to approach it as decluttering social media, think of it as decluttering your relationships or mm. curating your relationships. Mm. Um, you know, I, I talk about it being easy when you save the cloud, social media is the same thing, it's very easy to just add a friend, yeah. someone you don't know, uh, someone you think you wanna know, or someone who has something you wish you had, just add them to, to kind of live through them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you curate your relationships, then your social media is automatically gonna curate itself. So if you no longer find value in those relationships, there's no need to have that person connected to you anywhere, yeah. per se. And then again, like I said, photos and apps, just approach those things with intention. Um, you know, be conscious about it. Be gentle with yourself because, you know, it may be mom and maybe grandma. So you don't necessarily want to. I- I'll say this. If, if you have too much digital, digital clutter, uh, make sure you're saying that for you and not because someone else has less digital clutter than you. Mm. And mm. then approach it from the perspective of what's going to work for me and then curate it for, in a way that's going to work for you. I think yeah. if, you're, if your whole perspective around everything you're trying to do is done for you, mm-hmm. then you'll find the answers you're looking for.
0: And I yeah. think that's one of the, the, the troubling things is we often hop online to get an answer and say, well, how do I copy their template verbatim? Mm-hmm. But that template might not work for you. And that's why Ryan and I talk about, even he and I have, have different recipes and it's different from you. And what I like is people can take out an ingredient from your recipe, an ingredient from his, an ingredient from mine, and create their own recipe. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's why minimalism being malleable is is so important because if it was just a template, if we had the minimalist rule book and here here are the hundred rules for you to be a minimalist, right. well, it looks like you messed up on three of them. I guess you're not a minimalist. Like that's not what it's about. It's about figuring out what rules are appropriate for you and mm-hmm. then adjusting for taste. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ron, I think you hit the nail on the head. You got to take
2: it one step at a time. If you try to do it all at once, it's going to be overwhelming. And you're never going to make progress. And you know, it's funny. Purple Shrimp says, "Real life." It's throwing up roadblocks a lot right now. I bet you they're finding the roadblocks mm. because they're trying to do everything at once. Doing everything at once, yep. and yeah, if you look at it that way, there's never
0: gonna be the right time. Mm-hmm. But I would argue
2: right now is the best time to do it.
0: Yeah, well, I would say that right now is the second best time. The best time was a decade ago. <laughs> and, and so, and so, guess so get what? A time machine or start doing it. Now. Yeah, right now <laughs> is, is, is the, the second best time. And so I would get started because here's the thing. Let's say life really is throwing up these roadblocks for you. Do you think that's going to stop? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's going to be the perfect time to declutter? Mm. Of course not. And so getting started now is the second best time to get started because otherwise you're going to wait 10 years from now and say, I really wish I would have done it 10 years ago. Yep. Right. Yep. Question from Estella. How can we make meaningful purchases based on style and quality? Well, it depends. So, so we've, we've touched on this a little bit, but I just want to want to parse out here. So you asked the question earlier, like, who am I buying this for? Mm-hmm. When, when we asked, like, if I'm getting ready to buy this thing, who is this for? Is it for me or is it to impress other people, right? And so if, if what you mean by style is like a personal Belief, a personal style, as opposed to a mimetic belief, a cultural belief, then then you shouldn't be too worried about being trendy. First off, trendy just means it's soon to go out of fashion. Mm-hmm. I just but, let Josh pick out all yeah. my outfits. <laughs> <laughs> I picked them all out in 2015. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, I haven't he's, updated it since.
2: He's like blue jeans and black shirt. That's what you should. Uh, that's what you should wear. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Uh, you talked about the unsubscribe thing uh, in the c- previous question. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how long ago I stopped buying from J-, J. Crew, but I used to really like their jeans. But I stopped purchasing from them because I did everything I could to deny all of their marketing messages. Mm-hmm. But like, no matter what it took, like they start hammering you with emails, and it takes like three months for them to like stop sending you emails. Really? Yeah, it's crazy, wow. man.
0: Yeah. So, um. So so meaningful purchases, I reject the qual the, the 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 question itself because. Mm nothing has meaning unless we impart meaning on it, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want to make a meaningful purchase. I want to purchase things that augment my life, that enhance my life, that add value to my life. But I don't want to place meaning in my things. I don't think anything is inherently meaningful unless we say, well, that has meaning. And if so, that's great. But you better pick what things you give meaning to because if everything is meaningful, then everything is meaningless. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What do you do, Ron? What, what do you do with, with respect? I mean, you're clearly stylish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so um, I mean, there's a certain elegance to, to simplifying. Mm-hmm. The bones are the beauty. There's a luxury in it. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. There's a luxury in, in less, I think. And, you know, it kind of reminds me of how I end all of my videos by staying true to you. So if we try to put this definition on everything we're trying to accomplish in life, then we're never going to meet it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if if we just use that as, uh, I guess, a pathway, a, a guidance, and we stay true to ourselves, then the decisions we make are going to be true to us. So purchasing valuable things for your home or whatever it is, if you find value in this and it's true to you and your lifestyle, then by all means, purchase it. You yeah. know, I don't think there's a, a yes or no or a... A, a certain status you have to reach or a, a certain look you have to have to be minimalist. It's just, is this working for me? Is this true to myself? And if I find value in these things, if they're adding value to my life or uh, do I enjoy them? However you want to pose the question, then by all means do it. You know, yeah.
0: what's fascinating about that is, um, I, we'll have people say I, I, I do the whole minimalist thing, but I just like wearing bright colors too much. And it's like, <laughs> Oh, I didn't see that rule right. written down anywhere. Right. <laughs> um, if, if you, in fact, we had a friend, Nina Yao. Uh, she's in Chicago and she ran a, a minimalist blog over a decade ago. She was killing us on minimalism when it comes to like <laughs> items. Oh, owned. yeah. She was an uh, aggressive, radical minimalist. I think she owned like 15 items yeah, or something. Yeah, it's like Colin point. Wright
2: came out with the I Own 50 Things, and Nina's like, I
0: can do better. <laughs> <laughs> Hold my beer and keep it. Right. Um, no, and, and, and so, but she did this experiment. And I think, I've mentioned it in the past, but I think it's worth bringing up again, but we can expand on it. Uh, So she worked in an HR department at a large pharmaceutical company, um, or pharmacy company, rather. And she, every day for a year, wore the same outfit. Now, you might say, well, that's easy for a guy to do, Mm -hmm. but it's different for women. She's like, well, I wanna prove that wrong. Okay, but yeah, it's easy for a minimalist to do because you're dressed in all black. She wore a bright red sweater, every day mm-hmm. and and like uh pants black pants but this really bright obnoxiously bright red sweater to prove a point so the entire year one person mentioned something to her like hey didn't you wear that last week <laughs> yep yeah i sure did and the week before that and the week before that and yeah. yesterday and tomorrow and and the point she was trying to drive home is like people don't care about what you're wearing nearly as much as you think they care. Mm-hmm. So you better feel good in the yeah. clothes that you purchase because that's what ultimately matters. Mm-hmm.
2: I think yeah. we get stuck in the high school mindset where yeah. if you wear the same thing twice and yep. you and, get clown. And, yeah, it was. Yep. And it's funny because like I wore the same jeans pretty much. I had like maybe two pair of jeans. I would alternate, uh-huh. but that's just it. Like I would just alternate them. Heaven forbid you wear them two days in a row, but guess what? It ain't high school anymore. Mm-hmm. Like we're all adults. <laughs> we uh we don't clown on each other for wearing the same thing two days in a row. And if you do, uh, you might be hanging out with the wrong people. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> All right. VW has a question. How do we teach our children to politely accept compliments on clothing, but not use fashion as social status or a bonding mechanism?
0: So speaking, speaking of high school. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow. And, and, and so... Um, you know, I haven't faced this yet. My daughter's only seven, and she loves wearing... I want a
2: Gucci purse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right.
0: <laughs> I will strangle the life out of you. Um, no, she... She loves wearing like real flowy dresses, so like everything is just functional for her. Like she'll go rock climbing in a dress, <laughs> yeah, because she she likes nature and she likes dresses. Mm. And, and I think in a way, it's it's almost like we need to get back to that that childhood mindset of like, is this appropriate for what I'm doing, and do I enjoy it? And now, as parents, we have to steer Elle in the right direction, like, hey, young lady, go put some underwear on. Um, but but also. I, th- there is this time where kids do start to get their identity, their social status. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, Ryan. We we had the guy from Preachers and Sneakers. Are you familiar with this I'm account? Not, I'm okay, not. No, so great. it's uh, I saw, it's saw the episode though. Okay, I saw yeah. The right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he uh, um, he the re- he reason he had the sneaker over his face is he's mm. still anonymous. Like he <laughs> has to be anonymous yeah. for now. <laughs> he's gotten death threats and a bunch of because oh, wow. he's he's exposed this this <laughs> in, entire yeah Christians sub-culture. giving him death threats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, which which is weird because like I, what I love is he's turned the, his these comments his comment section on, on Instagram. It's just at Preachers and Sneakers. Check it out. Mm-hmm. So what he started doing was, he realized, because he's, like, he's a Christian and and he was like I'm, uh, he's going to church and he felt like, he, he, he felt conflicted because he saw that there were like some pastors wearing like thousand know, dollar fear of God sneakers mm-hmm. and it was like Wait a minute. Like, uh, I'm giving my money to the church. And so, all he did is he started this Instagram account just for his friends. And he would take a picture of the, the person already posted online. So, the, the, it was already there. It was a, a preacher. And they would have, you know, it was like Chad Veach or something. Mm-hmm. And he'd be wearing $700 Gucci uh, shoes. And he would just put a, a snapshot from the website, like StockX or, or whatever website those shoes were on. And. He said, and even no commentary. Like it was just, here's the preacher. Here is the the sneakers yeah. they're wearing. Here's, here's what the worth. Yeah, yeah. And um, Ryan and I had a whole you know discussion, and, and and I was trying to be charitable to what they were doing, and we we, mm-hmm. we had a whole sort of um, debate around around that. And so I'm not going to rehash that debate. But what I'll say is that often our fashion, it, we try to use that as a shortcut toward our relationships Mm. but of course there aren't shortcuts because if you just put a facade on a rotting house the house Mm. is still going to fall apart if you are nothing beneath the fashion then even with the fashion you're still nothing Mm. uh, you still have nothing to contribute uh, until you have something to contribute there's something there
2: like you know your fashion should strengthen your relationships not be your relationships, mm-hmm. and I think I mean I look back at high school when Tommy Hilfiger was cool. Actually, mm-hmm. it was cool again for a minute.
0: Yeah, about six months, right? <laughs> right? <laughs>
2: a couple of years ago, but uh but yeah, I mean I I went out of my way to, to wear certain brands, thinking that that was gonna make me a cool kid, and maybe mm-hmm. I l- l- look this is cool. Nineties, yeah. <laughs> maybe I look cool, but what made me cool was me. I right. was I was a cool person. <laughs> Tell him, Josh. No. Uh, yeah I, I, how, do, how do you get a kid though to like not look at those brand names to be oh man. you know and i don't know the answer to that I don't know. because <laughs> yeah because I, if i had kids i certainly wouldn't just buy them every brand name that right. they wanted i would encourage them like hey look if you want to own a pair of gucci sneakers like you're gonna have to work to get those mm-hmm. so i wouldn't discourage them right from working hard and buying something that they want um but I also wouldn't just give
0: it to. Her. I don't know. I, I don't know the answer. to It. it. Yeah. I think so. I, I actually did that. So remember. I mean, I, I dressed really well in high school. I spent an absurd amount of my own money. You know, we we grew up really poor. But then by the time I was fourteen, I was able to get a job, and and so mm-hmm. I remember I was making four twenty five an hour. I was like, this is more money than I'll ever need. <laughs> and and uh, at the end of the summer, I had all this money saved up. I just went to the mall and bought clothes with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and so I think. It's okay if your kid wants to go out and earn the money to buy their own clothes, but here's what I wish would have happened. I wish there would have been a way to communicate with me at the time that, hey, you're going to buy some of these things, but why are you buying it? Mm -hmm. And I think quite often we're not asking kids these questions and actually making them explain themselves. Why? Why are you buying this? Yeah, just, who are you buying this for? Right, and, and not in yeah. a way that's accusatory or judging, but in a way that that is actually inquisitive, mm-hmm. and because we we need to be able to ask those same questions of ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. And so, what behavior are you modeling for your kids as well? You can be stylish without brand names, without logos. Uh, in fact, have you talked to your kid about well? Are you paying for the privilege of advertising for that corporation, for Tommy Hilfiger or Nike or whoever, mm-hmm. or are they paying you? Well, the answer is obvious. They, they should be paying you. you have, you're wearing a giant logo of a horse on your shirt or whatever. Yeah. But but the truth is you're paying them for the privilege of being a walking billboard for that company. Yeah. Are you being used and manipulated by that company and oh you're wearing it because your other friends are wearing it. well why are your other friends wearing it and so uh, we start asking these questions we get to the why and then the why behind the why all of a sudden it doesn't mean it's going to change their behavior or their desires necessarily but it might make them think differently about how they're going to spend their money on those mm-hmm. things ron do you have any advice for your former self like
2: when you think about the clothes you had with tags on it mm-hmm. the sneakers like is there anything you think you could have told yourself back then to help you prevent from buying that? Because that's what I'm asking myself right you know,
1: now. I, I honestly, no. I think I just had to go through it, yeah. to be completely honest. Um, and to be honest with myself as well, because there were times where I went out to buy, just say I was going to hang out with friends, and I wanted to buy something just to hang out with friends. Mm. And and me standing here and being able to admit that, honestly, sounds crazy, but it's true. You know, I would I would go out and say, you know, I'll go buy a new pair of jeans just to wear this day because I didn't like the jeans I already had. Yeah. And that's how I ended up with things with tags on my things I only mm-hmm. wore once. Mm-hmm. And, you know, buying shoes because somebody else had these pair of shoes and I wore them once and they sat in the box. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's nothing I could have said because I had to learn it on my own. Yeah. You know, my, my dad would tell me all the time various life lessons. Um, he would always tell me, remember who you are and whose you are. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and various other th- statements he would tell me, my brother. But regardless of those life lessons he taught us, we still had to experience things to learn them. Mm. So I think I had to go through that to, to, to figure it out for myself. In
2: yeah. some cases, I mean, that might be the best answer. Yeah. It's like, let your kid go through go it. go through it. Yeah. Mm. I mean, the only thing... only you can th- still th-
0: ask those questions. Of I course. Think, mm-hmm. it, it, because if they still go through it, they may start asking the questions of themselves mm-hmm. sooner yeah. mm-hmm. if they're exposed to mm-hmm. this alternate so, point of view, this, this, yeah. if they're exposed to the truth. So I guess yeah. what
2: I'm saying is, is after you kind of give your kids this wisdom... Mm-hmm it's up to them whether or not they want to use. It. I mean, yep. your job as a parent to set boundaries is to impart your wisdom on them. But ultimately, yeah, sometimes they're going to have to go through it. I think the other question I'd add, I, I would also, or have my child ask is if you didn't own these clothes, would your friends still be your friends? Yep. Because I think maybe that might've maybe done something for me when I, when I was in high school, but I, I kind of look at it like you do, Ron, like in high school, I don't think it doesn't matter what you would have told me. I'm mm-hmm. like, no, I'm going to spend $120 on these Tommy Hilfiger
0: jeans because that's what everyone else is wearing. Yep. But the truth is that your friends would have been your friends. Absolutely. And, and you know, I think about, you know, our little group, we we there was four of us. Um, me and Jerome, my brother, and then Ryan and his best friend Pacho. And we looked like a Harvard diversity poster. <laughs> um, and 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 so like there there was there was the four of us and like Jerome was probably by default the coolest of the group yeah but he never wore he didn't care about brand he would often wear he my didn't. shirt he never cared about that it so he true. wore levi it was yumi and patro who always yeah. cared and he wore he he wore like like baggy t-shirts from uh walmart or big bear or wherever he could right? get away with that because he could kick anyone's ass in the right That's yeah this is true but but <laughs> so my, my point is that like that's actually what cool used to be. Mm. When you go back, look at the Rolling Stones. You couldn't say what brand of anything. They were like the, the super, you know, they were the cool peer, people of their period, right? Mm. And you move forward and even you, you, you look at early uh, hip-hop culture, you couldn't go and, and figure out what the brands were. It wasn't until very recently that we, we started valuing brands and branding. I mean, think about that term, Branding. Yeah. That's what we do to cattle, mm-hmm. and yet we're doing it to ourselves. Yeah. Um, there's a new Jack Harlow song. I used to really like Jack Harlow, but I don't like him anymore. Um, <laughs> Why not? Why well, just knew his music? He's that first to, album was amazing. His first, he has this album called Gazebo which he's from Louisville, Kentucky. Dude, it's, it's like, Matt
2: Carney's thing. Where you got your whole life to write your first album? Yeah, yeah. Like it's, you, it's it's yeah.
0: a it's a perfect classic album. Underground, no one's heard it. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, and then he like just started taking on the new ways. He has this line in, in this this new song of his um, talking about how he got the shoe deal with New balance and now I'll do anything that New Balance says and I'm like, that's the problem <laughs> right you know? You're putting a brand in your song and you're also saying I will do it anything oh oh so they're they're your master now. I'll do anything does that he new intend balance that as a
2: lesson or is he like,
0: no, it's a brag. It was trying to be a humble brag. Oh. I'm like,
2: uh, that's the wrong brag, yeah. buddy. Interesting.
0: Yeah. Like, oh, you are a shill for a corporation. Congratulations. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so I, I don't feel I, – I, I, I look at anyone who embodied cool previous to recently, mm-hmm. and and there was – it was never about the clothing they wore. The clothing was cool – because of the person who was wearing it. The Mm -hmm. person wasn't cool because of the clothes they were wearing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's helping your kid understand that distinction. Matt has a question for us. I'm a uni student in the UK and
2: I've started decluttering. However, I still have the leftover pile. Leftovers and quotes here. Mm -hmm. What's the best way to get rid of the final random items that just lie around like notes or books you read as a child? If you're me,
0: you just let your best friend Sneak the boxes out of your house when you're not looking. <laughs> you remember that? Well, we, we I got that idea from Colin, our friend Colin Wright, um, who was in our first documentary. He's the guy who introduced us to minimalism. And when he first became a minimalist back in like 08, 07, somewhere in there, he he had what he called a yard sale room in his house that he was, or his condo that he was moving out of. And it was a front room in his house. And anytime friends came over, he said, "Hey, I have boxes in there." You can take whatever you want. Just don't show it to me before you leave. I don't want to know about mm-hmm. it. Everything I've in there, I've decided to let go of. That was his leftover pile. Yeah. Now, leftover is an interesting word here, right, mm-hmm. that, that Matt is saying, leftover pile. Because if I think about food, leftovers sometimes taste better the second <laughs> day, <laughs> but they're usually worse, mm-hmm. right? If mm-hmm. you have this really great meal and then you put it in the fridge and wait a day or two, it's usually not better than before mm-hmm. there there's a, the uh, there's the rare exception and so i think about that with the stuff as well you bought these things because it was delicious to you at the time yep. but it's probably not delicious to you anymore yeah and so now you have to just give yourself permission to let go but mm-hmm. how does how does matt do that i i think i like how you said you caught our leftover and
1: i'm looking at it from the perspective of maybe he's ready to declutter but he's not ready to let go and I think let go and declutter are two different things. And he yes. mentioned there were books from his childhood. So that childhood piece of it, he still has a connection to. Yeah. So he's decluttered it mentally, but he's not ready to physically let it go. Mm-hmm. Or the other way, he's decluttered it, but not ready to mentally let it go. So I think, uh, like you said, you have to step back, give yourself permission to let it go, but also understand that, you know, you're not, if you let go of the item, not letting go in your childhood. And mm-hmm. I think that's where he has to draw the line between. Yeah. yeah. So if he has that, that, uh, that hesitation there, he has to figure out what's what's driving that, what's holding on, causing him to hold on to those items, and then mm-hmm. figure out how to let
2: go of that piece of it. Yeah, I mean, pick a, a note or a book or whatever from your childhood, pick one thing, snap a picture of it, mm-hmm. and then let it go, see how it makes you feel. I mean, that's what I did with some of my stuff, mm-hmm. and I realized that it didn't hurt nearly as bad as what I anticipated, yep. and that gave me the leverage to let go of more. But uh, I did have a leftover pile with like donations, and I was just, like, lazy and didn't, like, bring him to the donation store right away. <laughs> and Josh would come over and hang out. And then he'd leave. And I noticed, like, a couple boxes were missing.
0: <laughs>
2: so, he was a great friend because he would take my donation stuff that was in the pile and go
0: bring it <laughs> to the donation store. <laughs> Which, actually, was a whole lot, wasn't more work for me because I already had, like, a donation thing right. in the back of my car. Mm-hmm. So, it was like, I'm going there anyway. I'll just <laughs> right. take these with me. Right. And um, uh, I was talking to my friend Annie. You remember? You know Annie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh this weekend and we were talking about relationships and you know letting go of toxic relationships and sometimes relationships become toxic after the end of the relationship because Mm. it is weighing on your mind in in some Mm. way I think the same is true with our stuff and and I think with relationships we often yearn for closure as though like that's some magical fix Closure doesn't actually fix anything for you, but we feel like we need it in order to to move on. We mistake yeah. closure with moving on, but the way that we get closure is that we move on, mm. and I think that's true with the things as well. The, the only way to remove that stress isn't to have some sort of closure with it. It's to move on so you get the closure. Yep. It's like a human condition where we have to have like this perfect idea of a beginning and this perfect idea of an end. And, yeah, we got to get past that. As if everything works on your timeline and, and according to your preferences, of course not. The world does not you know, bend to your will that way. Right. And so the way that we can do it is we can, we can move on without waiting for that closure. Lydia wants to
2: know, is there any stuff that you have found you truly need but wish you didn't?
0: Pants. That's definitely... <laughs> she <laughs> says, do you have any necessary items... You have, but really want to get rid of. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, so those are two separate questions. Is, is there anything that, that, um, uh, is it stuff you found you truly need, but maybe wish you didn't? I'm going to change the question a little bit. I don't know if she'll reject this rephrasing of the question, but is there any stuff that you found you get value from? Because need, isn't as perspectival as value, mm-hmm. right? With, with need, we all need shelter or clothes or, or, or food. But there's this other middle category, what Ryan and I call non-essential items. We say everything you own can fit in three piles. Essential, non-essential, junk. Mm-hmm. Non-essential are those things that, that add value to our lives, but we could get by without them. I have a couch in my house. Mm-hmm. I could live without it, but I do get value from it, and so I have it. Now, unfortunately, most of the things we own are junk. 90% of the things we own in America are, are junk. The average household has 300,000 items in it. And most of that stuff is actually getting in the way of those things that will, that will bring value to us. And so if I were to look and say, are there any non-essential items that, uh, that I have but wish I didn't have? And the answer to that is no. Because yeah. if so, I'd get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And, and, but, of course, I need to keep asking that question because if I stop getting value from the cow, it should be silly for me to hold on oh, to it. Right. Yeah. Are there any things, Ron, that, that you own that um, you've let go of recently that you felt like, well, I was getting value from it, but I, I, not anymore?
1: Uh, that's hard because now, like I said earlier, now I'm kind of going through a phase where I'm just decluttering as I'm living. Mm-hmm. So in, in the moment, if I'm not really... You know, using it then I get rid of it but I don't think I've had a regret from anything that I've gotten rid of maybe yeah. a sweater or two that I used to wear I think mm-hmm. that's about it but yeah. uh you know other than that but something you said earlier that, that I thought was funny uh you said how Ryan would take things out of your your house when you weren't paying attention yeah. and um she actually did that to me early on in my <laughs> relationship no way. Uh, yeah so I would I would actually buy picture frames and, oh, wow. um, you know, I, was, I just had this weird thing about vintage picture frames that, you know, one day I put my poetry in and display my poetry. Yeah. Never did. Yeah. But, uh, you know, one day we were watching a movie and I was like, where are my picture frames? You know, and she's <laughs> like, oh, I, I put them in a the closet. I was cleaning earlier. And I just said, okay. And then little did I know, she, she took them and took them to Goodwill and they were gone for weeks before I even realized realize it. Realize so <laughs> uh, I, I just wanted to bring that up. But um, is there anything that I've, that I've let go of that I, you know, wish I hadn't? And, you know, I'm gonna say no, besides maybe a sweater or two, You know, that I would wish I still had, but other than that, no.
2: Yeah. I know, I wish I had like this really sexy answer to this
0: question, but like I. I There's some things I I wish I didn't need. Right. You know, like air conditioning is something that. I I grew up the first 18 years of my life without air conditioning. um, And. I have never looked back ever since I've gotten air conditioning. But I, I, and I know I'm spoiled for that. But uh, for whatever reason, like it, it, there was there was like a, a mild trauma in my childhood of like not having much. And and so um, I've I've decided that like that's one thing that is a non-negotiable for me. Yeah. Could I? It, that, but that's one of those things. It's a non-essential. Mm-hmm. I could be perfectly mm-hmm. fine without it. Mm-hmm. I don't use it all the time, obviously, but. You know what? I do get value from it. And so I've decided to hold on to it. Yeah. Well, it, <clears throat> if I had
2: anything I wish I didn't have, I wouldn't have it. Yeah. You right. know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I, I don't agree with the preface of this question because, yeah, if I found something, the, everything I have, which is necessary, it it brings value to my life. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, uh, I, you know what I hate? I hate flossing.
0: I hate it. <laughs> but I floss every day. But it's necessary. I I make I make, make backs my wife floss all the time, and she, she <laughs> all, only the only I hate time she flosses is when she's around me. Flossing is the <laughs> most like annoying little thing that I have to do every single
2: day. But I don't, you know, I wish I didn't have to do it. Like somehow our teeth magically clean themselves. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but but that's that that's where my mind goes when I hear this question. Yeah. But even with flossing, the mm-hmm. thing that I hate doing, like. I I do it because I know it's going to bring me better health. Yeah. same thing with exercise. It's like, yeah, I wish I didn't have to exercise, but guess what? If you want to stay healthy, that's what you have to do. Megan has a question for us. I experience anxiety when visiting my parents' home. You and me both, Megan. There's so much clutter. What are you
0: doing in Megan's parents' home?
2: (laughs) I can barely... Uh uh wait hold on. There's too much clutter and items that are never put back in their proper place. I can barely get into my old room and I'm constantly finding myself wanting to straighten things up for them while they're working and I have a day off. But I immediately become overwhelmed with where to start and find myself all over the place with barely no progress at the end of the day. So Megan is making her parents' problem her
0: problem. Yeah, I think we um, often do this. We we take on other people's problems, mm-hmm. just like I took your stuff to the goodwill for you. <laughs> right. I think I was enabling you. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, um, no. I appreciated it really. Now, now, Ron, uh, this is what's what's interesting about a, a question like this is you already talked about chunking earlier. you know, breaking things into mm-hmm. to smaller parts. So if you actually do want to help. Um, first thing yeah, i think you have to ask is like ask your parents do they right really want right. help and or am i and if they say yes then you have to ask yourself am i enabling them mm-hmm. because if you do the thing for someone mm-hmm. it's like when um oh. what what show is that where like they it was some comedy sketch i think where uh while you sleep someone would come over to your house and work out for you like they move your limbs <laughs> around oh, and yeah, stuff probably yeah, or something. and and, yeah. and so like Clearly, that's not going to make you any right. fitter if mm-hmm. someone is doing all the work for you. Yeah, and I think the same thing is true with this. I think you can help inspire the person, mm-hmm. move them in the right direction, but Megan's overwhelmed by this, mm-hmm. and and she's wondering where to start. Ron, what would you what would you think?
1: Uh, I like what you said earlier. She's making her parents' problem her problem, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's the perfect place to start because it's technically not your clutter; it's their clutter. And if you make it your problem, you're causing that overwhelming anxiety, anxiety feeling for yourself, but then like you said, you're enabling their parents by doing the work for them. So you're not really fixing the underlying issue. Yeah. So if you declutter their space for them or organize their space for them, next time you're there, it's gonna be right back the way it was. Because yeah, you're, yeah. you're not really helping the underlying issue. So I think the, be- the perfect place to start is to have a conversation with them, number one. Yep. You know, try to get them on board, or at least help them understand why you chose to live your life this way. Um, To allow them to make their own decisions for Mm themselves, and if they agree to allow you to help them, then I say walk alongside of them and allow them to do the work. Amen. Yeah, Yeah. don't
2: do the work for them. Yeah, Yeah. it makes me think of like parents who. You know they raise spoiled kids. Mm-hmm. They clean their room for them. They do their laundry for them. They and do they their to, homework. Yeah, and <laughs> I have a I have a friend. We have a. It was one of the four. I won't name names, but it was one of the four in high school. <laughs> it wasn't
0: me. You were Jerome. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I still didn't say the name. Uh, no, I mean, you know, unfortunately, or maybe it was fortunate for him, but you know, uh, he was a very spoiled kid, mm-hmm. and uh, he has never left high school because of that. Wow. And and so when you do the work for someone else. Uh, you're actually doing them a disservice. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I think there's there's a you know there's a one end of it where you, you force someone to doing something on their own, or you do it for them. That's the other end of it. But there's a middle ground where you can walk beside yeah, them I'm and you can help them, them do it. Mm-hmm. So if your parents want help, great, like schedule a time to help them. But if you're just doing it when they're at work, like you're you're actually enabling them to make bigger messes because now they know, oh, well, you know, Megan's going to come and clean it up.
0: Mm -hmm. This is what Derek Sivers talks about when he talks about being meta-considerate and meta-inconsiderate. So, like, it may seem like you're being considerate to your parents. I'm coming over, I'm helping. But really, you're being meta-inconsiderate. You are, in a way, perpetuating a problem by not allowing them to even face the problem themselves. Mm-hmm. Now one last thing that I will say to Megan is you, you shouldn't let other people's spaces I know you're attached to the space but you have to find a way to detach from the space because you shouldn't let someone else's clutter control your mood or mm-hmm. behavior. Mm-hmm. It's, Ooh, it's not
2: yours. You know what because the one thing she brought up in her question was the clutter, the clutter in her room it's hard to get to her room so, I mean if there is a space that is hers at her parents' house, then maybe that is up to her to like make that space the way that she wants it. If it is indeed her space. Right, right. exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 But but th- but that would be, you know, I mean to simplify this problem, Megan, like I would uh yeah, take control of what your space is, but it sounds like the vast majority of your parents' stuff, well, it's their stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: We got a question from Simple Living Mom. How do I help
2: my teenagers with FOMO? Well, I don't just, know. I don't even know how to help myself with FOMO.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we just did a whole episode about the fear of missing out with uh, yeah. our friend Peter Rollins. I would encourage you to go back and, and, and take a, a listen uh with that. But I think what we have to realize we talk about FOMO and we mm. also talk about JOMO, the joy of missing out. That's mm. the that's the the sort of flip side of things. It it's what are we really talking about? F- Fear of missing out is the fear of saying no to something. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And if you're afraid of saying no, then you have to understand what you are, uh, what you're saying yes to leads to the more important no's. And, and what I mean by that is, like, if I say yes, if Ryan's like, uh, or if some random person says, "Hey, mm-hmm. I'd like to have a, a half hour Skype call with you today," mm-hmm. I'm probably going to say no to that because although if I did say yes to that, then I'm going to say no to my family or mm-hmm. saying no to finishing writing the book. And I'm saying no to these other important endeavors. And unfortunately, when we say yes to everything, then we're actually saying no to the most important things. Yeah.
2: No, I, 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 do, uh, I do have a good way of dealing with the fear of missing out, especially living in Los Angeles, because mm-hmm. there's always something to do. In fact, I have actually caught myself telling Mariah, my wife, I'm like, we don't do enough. <laughs> like we, there's so many things we're missing out on in L.A. Like we're not taking advantage of living here. She's like, wait a minute. She's like, we do. It. We go to concerts. We go to like you know these little pop up things that that they have with whether it's a restaurant or a book reading or whatever. Uh, we go to the museums and I'm like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. we do. We do a lot. And I guess when I think of the fear of missing out, I personally think of like, yeah, what am I saying yes to? Uh, because to say yes to that one thing, I have to say no to everything else. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with FOMO, Ron?
1: I think it's all perspective. Mm. I think that's a, a, another way to rephrase what you're saying. Because when we look at it from, she talked about her sons, and I would assume they're in high school, with fear of missing out. So uh, the perspective of, like you said, what are they saying yes to, what are they saying no to, and a lot of the things I'm going to guess that they're saying no to are things their friends are saying yes to, mm. which is why they feel like they're missing out. Yeah. And if they're saying no, then it, then my assumption, again, is that they don't find value in what their friends are saying yes to, mm. which is nothing wrong with that. It's yeah. just, you know, you have different perspectives, different values. So you're not really missing out. You're just not doing what they're doing. Yeah. And I think if you look at it from that perspective, then you're really doing everything that you want to do, that you mm. find enjoying, that you enjoy doing. So I don't think there's, I don't think they're missing out. I just think they're they're uh, concerned about what their friends are going to say if they don't do what they're doing.
2: Mm, that's a good point. You know, I, the other thing, too, to think about, like right now, we, all of us in this room are saying no to everything mm-hmm. except this right here. And th- I guess that's my way of kind of helping myself feel better about the fear of missing out because I'm always missing out on something. Right. And yeah. I think when you can accept the fact that you're actually missing out on about 99.9% of mm-hmm. everything that's going on, uh, if you can accept that, then maybe it makes it a little bit easier to, to not worry about it. Yep. We have another question here from Matt. It's also about FOMO. How do you deal with FOMO on social media? I struggle with constantly checking my different feeds. Is there a Marie Kondo method for social media?
0: So, so the Marie Kondo method is, I, I don't know if you can like fold your Twitter account. And say thank <laughs> you to your Facebook account and then let it go. Yeah. Just That's what deleted. I did. Yeah. Ryan deleted his
2: Facebook account. You know account. how you know someone deleted uh, Facebook? Don't, <laughs> don't worry. Marie they'll tell they'll you. Tell you. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dude, I got a funny story about that Facebook actually. So Matt was looking for those pictures for, uh, what, he was asking for high school pictures. Um, our director mm-hmm. of, of the new documentary and he was asking for corporate day pictures. Okay. And I was like, I think I have some corporate pictures on my Facebook account, but I have to like reactivate it in order to look at those pictures. And did I reactivate on my Facebook account? And I was instantly like, oh, this is why I left Facebook. <laughs> because I saw people on there who I love and respect and really love having them as part of my life. And they're just like arguing about the dumbest things.
0: It's funny, when we it, when we, we remove the the, the physical space, People feel as though they can just get into a room and shout. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a fake world because these people that I saw shouting, uh-huh. they would never shout about yeah. this in person.
2: That's
0: wild.
2: Yeah. It's like why, like why? I don't know. I don't know. I could go on and on about Facebook. But, uh, yeah, I, I would say with social media, um, you've got to set some boundaries up with social media. I mean, that maybe that's the Marie Kondo method is yeah. figuring out where your boundaries are. If it's taking up your mind, that's why, I mean, on its best day, Facebook, was a pacifier. It entertained mm-hmm. me. On its worst day, it would ruin my whole day. Mm-hmm. And I had to look at it that way and be like, oh, wait a minute. Like, Facebook is taking from me. It's not giving me anything except passive entertainment. So uh, any social media you have in your life, maybe take that approach where,
0: A, what is it taking from you? What is it giving you? And Let me just say this. They're about... Right now, there are about forty popular social media platforms. Really? And you're Is miss- Yik Yak still a thing? <laughs> I don't. Uh, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, but there are about forty of them out there. Now, some of them are, are fairly niche, right? Where they have ten thousand users instead of uh, whatever, 10 th- You know, three billion. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, but there are a bunch of social media platforms out there and you're missing out on most of them guess what you didn't even know about as soon as i said 40 you're like oh no should i join all 40 yeah uh what about do i is meerkat still exist like there are all (laughs) these these different platforms right And, and so you're already missing out you're going to miss out and we get we talked about the joy of missing out a moment ago i haven't posted anything on instagram all year on my personal account but there's a reason why i've had my head down and i've really been working Diligently on this book, and then of course this film as well. So we, we've had these two projects that have sort of converged. We usually only take on one project mm-hmm. at a time, but the 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 movie is supposed to be done over a year ago, <laughs> and it's still not. It's almost done, but um. And so these these two things are happening once, and I just haven't had time. And if I were to say yes to posting on Instagram every day, mm-hmm. then I would actually be saying no to finishing this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the- when I when I when I look at it that way, it's like. I actually have the fear of missing out on this book much more than I do of missing yeah. out on Instagram.
2: And really, what are you missing out on, on Instagram? Right. I mean, yeah. Butts mostly. Your, I, I think <laughs> big, very big butts. <laughs> very big butts. <laughs> but you are missing out. What's your so approach that? on social media? Uh,
1: notifications is a big one. If oh, yeah. If you're not notified, you're not going to open it. Um, I think that's simple. But I think he's saying he, he has this fear of missing out on social, uh, so he has this urge to constantly check it. So I'm gonna, My my question back to him would be, what else in your life are you focusing on? Do you have, do you have anything else that you're focusing on? Because if you don't have anything else that you're doing or focusing on that should be taking up your time, then of course social media is gonna fill those gaps. Mm. So, so my question would be, if you don't have that other thing, then
2: figure out what that other thing could be for you. Yeah, That'd be my other question. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, We've got a question here from Mona. I'm a student and I want to get into research one day. I'd love to see my future self as an expert in something but I don't know how to focus on a certain discipline when there are just so many cool things to learn
0: out there. So how does Mona find her passion, Josh? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this is one of those problems, right? We, we presuppose we, we have this innate uh, inbred passion where it is, the, I was born to be an astronaut or a yoga teacher or a novelist or a cashier mm-hmm. or whatever it was. And But the truth is, you weren't born to do anything. Mm -hmm. And at first people see that as, well, that's unfortunate because Mm -hmm. uh, I'm trying to find my passion. Well, no, it it has to do with cultivating a passion, right? And so how do you do that? You have to find something you're interested in. And the truth is there are dozens of things that you could be passionate about. You can't be passionate about all of them though, Mm -hmm. because if you're passionate about everything, you're passionate about nothing. and so. I think what we often have to do is figure out what our values are. We have a worksheet on our website, theminimalists.com slash V. You can figure out what your values are, four different types of values that we identify there. And once you figure out what your values are, figure out what your interests are. And I think your passions often are at the confluence of your interests and, and your values. Mm-hmm. So if you figure out both of those things, then you'll start to figure out, okay, I could be passionate. I'm not passionate about this or this or this yet. Like I wasn't always passionate about writing. I was very interested in it though. I enjoyed reading a lot and I, I enjoyed the storytelling aspect and what people could do, this sort of exchange of consciousness. And I realized that, oh, the real passion doesn't come from the first time I try and put a terrible sentence on a page. And you probably saw this Mm -hmm. with poetry. What it has to do with is you have to be willing to put in the work. You have to drudge through the drudgery. The real payoff, the real passion comes after many hours are invested Mm -hmm. in the craft, right? I I agree. Mm -hmm. And I I like how
1: you said it's, it's kind of the intersect between your values and your interests Mm. and that really made me think because i had to identify my core values for myself before i can move make progress on anything and uh my core values are poetry creativity simplicity relationships and health Mm. and you know there's subcategories that fall within that like anything else but because i know those core values anything that i have an interest in is automatically going to align with those core values for Mm. me so i think uh to answer the question it's kind of uh, you know, just like you said, it's the intersect between the passions, the, the passions, your values, and your interests. But then once you have those passions, you have to take action on the things that, that are at the top of that list. Yeah. I think a lot of times we just try to look for a passion for the sake of conversation. Oh, mm. I'm passionate about this. What do you do? Yeah. I'm passionate about that. What do you do? Mm-hmm. But we, t- we don't take action on any of it. Yeah. So I think th- the true passion is what you're taking action on. But to find that, like you said, it's the intersect between your values and your interests. And yeah. by
0: the way, realize that you know this is a long life and if you are, you're, you're a student right now, let's assume you're about 20, mm-hmm. you can be passionate about something and master it over the next mm-hmm. decade, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean it has to be your lifelong passion yeah. either. It, it may mean that you walk away from it at some point. Derek Sivers, who we've talked about a couple times today, this is a, a, another really great example. He was a musician, a full-time musician, made tons of uh, uh, friends and, and, and music w- in that scene and just recently... He realized, like, I was still identifying as as a musician, but I wasn't playing any music. So I had to let go of identifying myself that way and realizing I'm a writer now. He's been writing books for over a decade. He was an entrepreneur before that. And so, like, your passion will likely change over time mm-hmm. yeah and you can potentially pick up new ones in the future but it's about identifying that one that you want to cultivate right now mm-hmm. and guess what if you start cultivating it and you're you're drudging through the drudgery and and you end up on the other side and you're like you know what I wrote that novel it turns out I'm not passionate about being a novelist mm-hmm. that's okay yeah that's good news actually you figured it out yep. no need to hold on to it let go find the next interest that you can cultivate into mm-hmm. a passion
2: yeah I think uh The human condition, uh, we get to a point
0: where we master
2: something. And once we master it, once we become an expert, we look for the next thing. Mm. So just wanting to become an expert in something, is not that's not the answer to life. I mean, just to to add to what you guys say or to to emphasize what you guys are saying is it's that process of getting to be an expert. Like that's what you really have to learn how to enjoy. Actually, you know, I do think there are people out there who maybe they were born to be whatever, right?
0: Yeah, Dave Chappelle. Yeah,
2: sure. (laughs) But... You know, I'm, I'm a little weary of even that group of people, which, I, again, they're out there. It's the exception. It's mm-hmm. not the rule. Right. Like, what if all of a sudden, like, Dave Chappelle can't do comedy anymore? Right. Yeah. Like, now what? Yeah. Like, if that was the one thing he was born to do. Yes. What if he lost his voice? Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, it may, you know, seem on the surface, like, I just want to find this one thing that I can do. But there, there are a lot of inherent problems. Even if I could give Mona the answer, like, here's the one thing you should do. You're gonna eventually face a problem with that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, learning how to how to appreciate the journey that's that's where the gold is. Michelle, Michelle wants to know: owning less has equaled wanting less. The one thing I overindulge in is books, but I am so over everything else. Help! What does she want help with? Overindulging in <laughs> books or yeah. not well, wanting
0: anything? No. So here's the thing: I I'm I'm with you all the way up until the overindulge part, right? Like I want you to indulge in books. Yeah. If you really get joy from those books, if they're, they're serving a purpose in your life. But overindulging, I am against in all aspects of life. I don't want you to overindulge because overindulging is by definition a negative thing. Mm. So, so the question would be, we've talked about enough already. Mm-hmm. So what is enough indulging in, in these books? Because I think here's the problem with books. I used to have about 2,000 books. Ryan remembers coming over to my large mm-hmm. suburban house and I had this... <laughs> this giant uh, my dad's old Mm -hmm. bookcase and I had other I had other bookcases and the problem was some books had books on them so some of them had magazines on them yeah yeah. (laughs) Uh, and and so I I I looked at these bookcases when I started decluttering my stuff and I realized like wait a minute I have 2,000 books only some of which I've actually read and if I'm honest with myself, I don't intend to read these. These are like these someday. Well, I'll get to that someday. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, someday never arrives. It's not a day of the week. And, and so it's this hypothetical, non-existent, far-off future. And it's like, well, if I'm holding on to everything for someday, then that someday is never going mm-hmm. to arrive. Mm-hmm. And, and so I gave myself permission to let go because was really I was holding on to them as just-in-case items, right? Mm-hmm. If you get value from your books, great, but I know I was holding on to old calculus textbooks from high school and it was like, well, or college or whatever, and I was like, wait a minute. First of all, I don't even have a college degree. Why do I have a college textbook? Uh, and, and, and I'm holding on to these things to either A, someday, just in case, or B, someone comes over, look how smart I am. Right. I have 2,000 books. It was a status symbol, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if that's, that's overindulging, That's indulging for the wrong reasons. That's what I was just thinking too, the status part of it.
1: And I I completely agree with everything you're saying. If she enjoys books, enjoy books. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, You know, but everything has a reason. So uh, as long as you're not, uh, as long as you're not allowing that overindulgence to be uh, your new focus in life, Mm -hmm. then I don't think there's an issue with her just enjoying books. I totally agree.
2: I mean, again, we said this earlier, but when you start to simplify and you start to give up things, Mm -hmm. it is to make room for other things. Yep. And if she's giving up, you know, her her life of yesteryear so she could read more and indulge more in books, then great. Like, yep. she's doing what she's passionate about. I mean, yeah. it's okay to be passionate about reading books. It's okay to be passionate about angel statuettes. Um, <laughs> <For> Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Santa Claus is, exactly. Um, we, got, we got
0: one more question here from Josephine.
2: All right. What keeps you in the flow of letting go consistently? When life gets busy, I struggle to balance My changing values and my commitment to downsizing takes a backseat when it's seat when at certain times. What keeps you going? So uh, I'll tell you, for me, it was watching hoarders. (laughs) (laughs) That was some inspiration to let go. I had this bookshelf that had had room for all the books I had, Uh but I was like, I don't need half of these books. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, we do. I do have to find ways personally to stay motivated to continue down this journey. Um, I mean, I, I kind of say it tongue in cheek, but actually it really did help me. It, Mariah and I went through a declutter, now I only got like a donation box worth of stuff, but it did give us a little bit of motivation to go through and start to mm-hmm. declutter some stuff. But how, how do you stay uh, on, on that, on I, I that think, track?
1: I think, was two part answer I want to give. One part is, like I said earlier, decluttering as I'm living. So yeah. I, I, I try to just approach it every day versus in, in large chunks mm. uh, throughout the week or throughout the month. So that helps me stay motivated throughout it all too but also look at the much bigger picture of what I'm trying to do overall with my life. Mm. I know both of us were interested in traveling, so if we have a lot of stuff, and we have a lot to manage, and we have lots to manage, and we can't, we don't have the time to travel. Mm-hmm. So I think when you, look, when you have a bigger picture or um, a much bigger thing you're trying to accomplish, then it's gonna help drive the smaller actions you need to do to get there. Yeah. So whatever that thing is for her, uh, you know, being able to entertain in your home, then that's gonna drive the action of maintaining your home. Yeah. Or if it's to travel like like mine is, then it's gonna drive the, the little actions of not having so much to manage so you have the time to travel.
2: I love that, man. So it's like how are you using minimalism as a tool yep. to enhance your life? Like what is it helping you work towards? Because mm-hmm. minimalism in itself, like we said, it's not this destination. Not. And if you do have it as this decluttering destination, then guess what? You get to a point where
0: you get decluttered. Right. Now what? Yeah, when you know? when, when ever my wife and I are making dinner, and I learned this from my mom many many years ago, is you, you clean as you go, right? And what you're talking about is sort of cleaning your life, keeping mm-hmm. your life clean as you go, mm-hmm. so that at the end of the night you're not or at the end of the week or whatever, you're not you're dealing with these this metaphorical pile of, mm-hmm. of dishes, right? It's it's the same thing is if you do it while you go. Now it might mean, Josephine, if you're in this position right now where You've got that metaphorical pile of dishes that's, that's crowding your life. Yeah, you're going to have to tackle those first. But then going forward, you let go as you live. Mm-hmm. Then you have the opportunity to keep it in the state that you have created once you get rid of this this excess clutter. Yep. Yeah. That's the best habit I
2: picked up from you, man. Cleaning as I go. Because ah. <laughs> we moved in together. And I was a, I'm like – it's not like I uh, – am dirty, but just, I don't clean as I go. So, right. like, dishes will pile up or, you know, dirty clothes will pile right. up or whatever. And uh, when Josh and I moved in with each other, I was like, all right, in order for this to work, like, I know Josh is OCD, so I'm going to have to keep things tidy. Right. But, dude, I'm so <laughs> glad I picked that up because I don't know if I would have done that if I didn't live with
0: you, you know? I think, Ron, that, that works. Uh, I love your advice there mm-hmm. of, of letting go as, as you live because... We often think of it as a separate thing. Like, I'll live my life and then uh, I'm going to accumulate all this stuff and then I'll figure it out eventually. That's a huge stressor. Mm -hmm. And why deal with that stressor if you can, you know, what's the Tony Robbins thing? If you want to kill Godzilla when it's an egg, not when it's taken over the city. Yep. and uh, uh, I, I think that's what you're doing there. You, you're, you're tackling it when it's so much easier to handle. It's not easy necessarily, but it's easier to handle now yep. than it will be a month right from on. now. Yep. Yeah, I completely agree. Ron, I want to thank you for being here today, oh, brother. Yeah, thank man. you. Thanks for having me. You're this awesome, has been man. great. Thank you. Uh, make sure you follow him on social media. If you're on social media, you can find him, I'm Ron Banks, right? Yes. On all social media platforms. We'll also put a link to his YouTube channel in the show notes, also the videos that we talked about. Anywhere else we should send folks?
1: Uh, no, well I have a podcast. I'm meant to mention that. All yeah, right, cool, so, tell yeah. me about it. Uh, so my podcast is Where Do I Start? Uh, a question that um, I usually get in the comment section of my videos mm. is where do I start with this or where do I start with that? So uh, my podcast is titled Where Do I Start? And I, I try to answer questions um, that I get in the comment section or questions that I may think others may have, but in a more uh, in depth or uh, direct way that you can't necessarily do on YouTube. So. Um, I break down things on like how to hit the reset button, um, you know, uh, the luxury and less, different things like that. And I try to break down a conversation deeper than just, you know, here's four tips. Mm. And um, so yeah, where do I start? Just answer those questions on where to start with decluttering, where to start with life, where to start with I love you know, that. money, different things like that. So yeah. because
2: there's Yeah, there's so many different things when it comes right. to minimalism that we do need to start. Exactly. Yeah, and and also like yeah.
1: this too, it plays into my poetry. Again, like I said, everything plays into my poetry. So the question, where do I start, is the question that others are posing to me. But it's also the question that I'm posing out to everyone else. Where do I start by answering your question? Or where Mm. do I start with this story? Mm. So it kind of has a wordplay to it as well. So you'll notice that throughout my content. that's great, man. There's always wordplay. That's
0: dig that. Sean, let's put a link to that in the show notes. Let's also put it in the the minimal episode as well. And uh, yeah, we'll go from there. Ron, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate Appreciate you. All right, y'all. Love people. Use things. We'll see you next time. Thanks, patrons. Couldn't do it without you. The minimalists. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs>